Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon, joined by Jake McGee and Dave Somerville. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Fantastic. Just glad to be here after a very rough weekend for all of us. Yes, but not how I expected to come back from my, my hiatus to see all our teams continue to, to disappoint us. Disappointing is the word. The only word that we can use. Yeah, I'm saying the only word. Clearly, there are many other words that we could use and probably will during the course of the show. Um, so, first of all, uh, what we're going to do is, obviously, we're going to go through the scores. We've got our week four review, and then we're going to do rapid fire week five preview. And, of course, we will have random stats. So, we're going to jump into it straight away, guys. Uh, the first game that comes up was, of course, the Thursday night game with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. The Bengals won this by a score of 27 to 15 at Paycor Stadium ugh, in Cincinnati. Jake, we're going to hand it over to you first. Now, obviously, there, there is one major talking point about this game that we're all going to be discussing later on. But uh, first of all, Jake, put it to you. Uh, give us your thoughts on this game. Yeah, so I'll, I'll finish on that. But I've got um, notes about T. Higgins. That's three very consistent performances in a row. He's really stepping up in that wide receiver corp. Uh, the Bengals bounce back after a rocky start. They were 0-2, now they're, they're back to 500. The main issue with the Bengals is Joe Mixon averaging 2.7 yards, and the Bengals struggled in any short yardage run. You know, most teams, they get to 3rd and 2, 3rd and 1, you think, okay, easy, we'll get the first down. The Bengals make it look hard. Now, obviously, the the obvious thing we're going to talk about, and I'll, I'll pass on to you guys, is the fact that Tua never should have stepped on that field. The only positive I've seen about the concussions is the discussion from former players like Whitworth and Rodney Harrison speaking out um, about the protocol that obviously needs looking at and that the players will play. They're warriors. You know, they play football their entire life. They love to play football. So you're going to have to take them out of the game. They're not going to take themselves out of the game. And Whitworth said himself he's had times where he knew how to pass the concussion protocol. So he passed it even though he was clearly concussed. Um, so we all saw last week that Tua, when he went down with supposed back spasms, when everybody and their dog knew it was a concussion, he came back into the ball game, shouldn't have, um, and then Thursday night football on a short week, lo and behold, gets hit again. It's, it's horrible to watch. It's it's not comfortable to watch for anyone, uh, and it shouldn't happen. And thankfully, I think there is going to be change to the protocol, and we saw over the course of the weekend, if players got a concussion or they were going through the protocol, they did not tend to come back, which normally they do, either if they pass it or they quote-unquote pass it. But this week it seemed, you know, the NFL is obviously under the under the microscope so that any player that went out with a possible concussion didn't seem to return, which should be the way really. But um, I'll pass it on to you guys and see what you guys have to say about it. Yeah, Dave, um, I mean, what, what was your views on this? Uh, first of all, Dave, what was your views on, on the game as a whole? And then we'll we'll come back to this to this Tua situation. What did you think? Well, before the Tua situation, one thing that I noted with the Bengals was that they're starting Joe, well, on offense, they're starting Joe Burrow under center instead of in the shotgun a lot more. Um, and I was trying to, f- look, I was looking online for some stats on it and it turns out that he was averaging uh, between 15 and 20% under center in the first two weeks. Whereas in the game against the Dolphins, he was nearly up to 30%. So that gives the defense a completely different look. They've changed up a bit. And 
lo and behold, they've only had one sack this week against the Dolphins, against a defensive line that were, you know, trying to press a lot, but they only got through once two barrels. So, you know, kudos for them for maybe sorting that out a little bit. Uh, obviously come away 27-15 winners is a massive thing uh, he threw for two touchdowns and had a fairly su- successful game Jamar Chase made a few big plays as well as Higgins so yeah well done to the Bengals and I think the game just overshadowed completely by what happened to Tua we, we, we said he probably shouldn't have been on but when he did go down that hand curl with his fingers was just it was horrible to watch because you knew what how bad a situation he was in. He shouldn't have been in there. He, he, it's, it's. I think it's, it's not so much on the Dolphins. Well, it is on Dolphins, obviously, but the NFL as a whole need to really look at this. Need to fix this very, very soon because obviously head injuries, uh, long term problems as well are, are really in the limelight right now, and for good reason they're in the limelight. This is this is a massive backward step, and it's highlighted what is a serious issue within the league. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was a positive positive day for the for the Bengals. Uh, Terry Kill did get 160 yards from 10 receptions, but they managed to keep Jalen Waddle very quiet with just two receptions. So they kept um, they kept Hill out the end zone. They kept Waddle out the end zone. They got a completion to Edmonds for the touchdown, but apart from that, it was just field goal day for uh, the Dolphins. So. Game overshadowed by a good Bengals performance, I think. But um, yeah, a few, a good few talking points from that game. Yeah, regarding the regarding the Tua situation, we we will come back to this. We we said it two weeks ago, uh, no, last week I should say, last week's yeah. show, that this supposed concussion, sorry, this supposed back injury. I beg your pardon, this supposed back injury that Tua had suffered the week before. And we looked at it, and I think, Dave, you actually said to us, concussion, oh, beg your pardon, back injury. Because it was clearly, clearly uh, some form of head trauma. Let's let's not, yeah. um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I can diagnose a concussion f- from across the Atlantic. Okay? But I know back pain when I see it. I, I know what it looks like. And... The way Tua collapsed on that field uh, after getting up and then, you know, stood up again, that, that was not, that, that's not lower back pain. Because the first thing he did was reach for his head, shake his head and put his hands up to his head. Now, when he had his uh, concussion in the game against the Bengals and you saw his hands going up like that, and we all saw, as you, as you said, Dave, this contortion of the... The fingers, I believe it's known as a fencing response. I don't know where that term actually comes from. But it's it's very common uh, amongst boxers and uh, other athletes who, can, who are susceptible to head injuries. And what happens is, you, you've heard it before, that when players, if a player goes down and bangs his head and he puts his hands up, the, the teammates are told, don't, don't pick him up. He's not putting his hand up for you to help him up on his feet this is an involuntary thing he can't help it and what what Tua's was with his fingers being contorted the way we are uh, I believe uh, is a, a very extreme form of this fencing response as it's known he should never have been on the field we all said this from the, from yeah. the week before he should never have been playing the game and there was actually somebody on Twitter 
whose name um, I, I forget, so I do apologise to him, who'd said after after the game last week, Tua should not have returned to the game. Tua should have been taken out. Tua should not play next week. And then they advertised Joe Burrow versus Tua. Mm-hmm. And the same individual said, if he has another concussion in this game, this could end his season or potentially his career. Because the one thing we all know about concussions is that once you've had one, the second one is easier to come by and generally much more severe. Mm-hmm. And then once you've had that second one, the third one is easier to come by and generally much more severe. Because it's a head trauma. Your brain is literally banging against the skull, inside of your skull. It's not designed to do that. That's why when people have concussions and... I, I've I've met people with concussions who seem absolutely fine, just fine. Bang their head. Hours later, no issues whatsoever. And then the next thing you know, um, it's it's generally nausea, vomiting. It's the first sign for someone else to see that this individual has a concussion. Now, again, this is not. Um, you know, the, the, the doctors and the tents with the, the light in the eyes and they can check all the responses to, to do an immediate check for a concussion. Usually the first sign for, you know, Joe Bloggs, me and you, uh, Dave, if you uh, went over to my house and you fell down the stairs and banged your head and I said, are you fine? You said, yeah, I feel, I feel fine. I've got a sore head, but I feel fine. Four hours later, you're throwing up all over the place. That's a concussion. I would know that. You would know that. It's not easy to see if someone has a concussion, but when you've got all these people across the league and um, not just across the league, but other ex-athletes and saying, that's a concussion, why is he playing in this game coming up? He's got a concussion, he shouldn't be playing. And I know he passed the, the protocol, but then we did see that an individual, I don't know if he was named, was he? The, the individual uh, doctor or medical person who cleared Tua has uh, now been fired, I understand. I think the, the, the word unaffiliated was used many times in that statement. This unnamed, unaffiliated individual. Does anyone have any, any details on that? On, he, I think, if I remember rightly, it was unaffiliated independent doctor. It's what they kept using, the phrase right. that kept coming up, especially on like unaffiliated independent. And he's he's been... He's been fired basically because of that. So, um, yeah, that that's pretty much what I was getting from Twitter. And you, it's it's hard to say. Is it really just him, or is it just the whole? You know, the the whole process. The process is wrong and needs seriously looking at. Uh, maybe I don't know, Jake. Do you have anything else uh, from the online hemisphere? No, I've not seen anything with with this. I just assume that 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 uh, gentleman or a woman uh, was taken up back and shot, uh, of course, in the NFL issues. And obviously they've had been in the press before for concussions. And this is certainly not a good look. And, and like I say, hopefully this does le- lead to a positive change and an actual change. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, the, the fact was that the, a week ago, Tua, Tua was brought back into the game. They should never have been put back in the game. But, you know, people saying, well, you know, they want to win the game. That's all well and good that they want to win the game, but surely not at the expense of someone else's health. So that that should never have happened. I, I saw a thing with, I think it was Mike Tomlin, where he was talking to, oh my goodness, what was the gentleman's name? 
Steelers player, uh, Ryan Clark. I want to say Ryan Clark. And he has a sickle cell trait. Okay, so it's not sickle cell disease, but it's he, has, he has a sickle cell trait condition, which, which basically means that it can become full-blown sickle cell. Uh-huh. Um, because of this, it's dangerous for him to play in high altitudes, such as Denver, Colorado. Uh-huh. Okay, because he has this trait, um, also in Mexico City, you, you can go there, but you can't play there because it, it, it affects your blood. It's to do with the, the, the oxygen in your blood. So Mike Tomlin told Ryan Clark, you're not traveling with the team. You're not coming with us. And Ryan Clark said, it was, it was an, an AFC championship. Was it an AFC championship game? No, I beg your pardon. A divisional playoff game against Denver Broncos in Mile High. And Mike Tomlin told one of his best players, Pro Bowl safety, Ryan Clark, you're not coming with us. You're not playing. Ryan Clark says, I want to play. He says, I don't care. He says, I'm not going to have the, the possibility of something happening to you that could end your, your career, possibly end your life. He says, uh-huh. this is not a discussion we're having. You're staying at home. You're not even coming to Denver. And Ryan Clark's saying, oh, I, you know, I've been before. He says, I don't care. You're not going. Stay at home. Now, they lost that game. Steelers lost that game to the Broncos. They could have used a player of Ryan Clark's ability, but Mike Tomlin did the right thing. And this wasn't, he wasn't being told this. Mike Tomlin wasn't told this, that Ryan Clark can't play with the team because he's got sickles. In fact, he was cleared by uh, team medics to go. And he said, no, you're not going. You're going to stay there. I value your career and life more than this game. And this was a playoff game. It was a divisional round against the Denver Broncos. Um, so the powers that be at Miami or whoever, whoever it was who decided that two I should play in that game, um, hell mend them. You're absolutely right, Jake. Uh, everyone, anyone who made the decision that Tua should have played against Cincinnati, just my goodness. Um, I have no idea what's happening this week. I don't, I don't know if Tua is expected to play. I wouldn't think so. But it was that was a Thursday night game, and obviously the short week made it it more likely that he would um, suffer another injury. So it's a longer week this week for Tua. So I don't know what's happening. Other than that, does anyone have anything they want to add about the actual game itself, or or again the situation? I don't want to be sort of the only one talking about this. Well, they pro- they protected Joe Barrow. The, be- the the Bengals protected Joe Barrow. Um, it's- Pretty much the only positive I can really take. It, it, look, the game was overshadowed. I don't think we can really get away from that. But um, yeah, hopefully two is okay. No long-term damage. And, you know, the, the Dolphins keep kind of enlightening the, the neutral in their games with their crazy plays. And Tyreek Hill keeps lighting up the league. No, nope, we've got 15 more games to get through. That's... that's... <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on then. And the next game we come to was... Sorry, Jake. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, and this one was in London. Uh, this was down at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London, and it talk about coming down to the, the 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 final kick of the ball and being a game of inches. Um, Dave, we'll we'll talk about it first, and then we'll hand it over to Jake for this one. So, Dave, you tell me first. What did you What did you make of this game? It was a bit of a doink of a game, wasn't oh, it? Wow. Um, <laughs> wow, no need for that. 
Oh, it was. It, I mean, it it was a fun game. It was a really good game from my point of view. But obviously, maybe not necessarily from Jake's, but from a, a neutral point of view, it, it was quite a good game. You know, the Saints got a lot done uh, on the grounds, rushing for over a hundred yards. Uh, Andy Dalton didn't throw the ball away. Well done, Andy Dalton. Um, you know, even for Jameis, Kirk Cousins did fairly well. Okay. Um, you know, he threw for uh, threw for two hundred seventy three yards, touchdown, and an interception. Um, yeah, it it was a good game. I really enjoyed it, but I could not believe that what what happened at the end of the game that the Saints had their they had a kick, it hit the post, then hit the bottom bar and stayed out. I don't know how it stayed out, but it did stay out, and. I mean, there were so many missed opportunities from the Saints. They could, they they should have won that game. They, I mean, from my point of view, because the Vikings had chances to finish them off, they didn't. The Saints had chances to come back and get into the lead, they didn't. It's a bit of a crazy game, but yeah, I'll, I'll hand it back over to you guys because I'm I'm trying not to make any more puns on doink a doink. <laughs> what, what happened yeah, okay okay i think we can stop there Good grief. <laughs> uh yeah before i hand it over to you jake uh, just for anyone who wasn't aware didn't actually catch the game um the saints actually tied it at 25 apiece with 151 to go in the game 60 yard field goal by will lutz uh and then the vikings went ahead with a 47 yard field goal with 24 seconds to go and it looked for all the world like that's it uh you know, because there's no chance of any any anything come back. 24 seconds, and Dalton made a heck of a play to get them. I, well, I'm not going to say in field goal range because right on the edge of field goal range, Will Lutz, 61 yarder, came off the the upright, then hit the crossbar and just went out. Jake, we'll hand it over to you. What did you make of uh, what did you make of this game? What I made of it is it's it's really hard to win a football game when one out of your three parts of your team is good and the rest of them are trash. I mean, offense and special teams just massively let down the Saints defense. Now, obviously we had no Jameis, we had no Alvin Kamara, we had no Michael Thomas. We were injury riddled, but that doesn't really excuse such a, a poor performance for, for you know three weeks in a row, or well, four weeks really, when you consider the, the, the first game of the season. There, there was some positives. Honey, Honey Badger got his first turnover. Uh, Chris Olave continues to look fantastic. Uh, for the Vikings, Justin Jefferson bounced back after a rough two weeks. He's been kept quiet, but uh, bounced back in a big way. The The Vikings missed an extra point, which set up such a dramatic finish, but the Saints didn't deserve to win. The Vikings deserved to win, but there's a killer fumble just before half-time that led to three points. Then uh, just after half, that led to three points, so he loved to, to fumble. And then there was a, a huge fake punt by the Vikings on fourth and two that led to another three points. So the Vikings just took advantage of mistakes and a, a lovely bold call on that uh, fake punt. But in the fourth quarter, the Saints up 22 to 19 with five minutes to go. The Vikings failed to get a third and 10. And that looked like it could be the game. The Saints could run down the clock. We score again. It's pretty much game over. But there was an invisible hands to the face penalty but even the commentators were going where yeah that where was, was that, yeah, that was, <laughs> i think that's known as an egregious penalty my word yeah that, that was that was something and then latimore had hold of thielen's arm but thielen turns latimore's face mask you know tit for tat vikings player gets the benefit of the doubt they get a first and you know goal basically 
and that's when they scored the, the field goal. Um, the Vikings player was injured with 18 seconds to go, but they stopped the game and only put 12 seconds on the clock. It, like I say, the Vikings deserve to win, but I was going to use this as my random stat, but seeing as I'm talking about it, I'll say it now. Over the past four years, the Saints have ranked 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 32nd in penalties called against their opponents. You'll be interested to know we're currently 31st. Uh, do you know what the chances of, of that are? Not off the top of my head. No. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll tell you what the chances are. It's a 0.00725% chance of that happening. So I guess the Saints are just really, really lucky that the refs only seem to call these penalties against them. And we must be the most undisciplined team of all time to have invisible hands-to-the-face penalties called against us every year. Well, keep in mind that you have been playing Tom Brady twice a year for the past few years, and you know that he's going to get a 1,000 penalties a game. Well, we saw that against the books. It, it's every week. I don't, was, what the yeah. Saints, I don't know what the Saints have done um, to Roger Goodell, um, but I hope it was worth it because we continually get screwed. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, okay, so moving on, we then go to MetLife Stadium where the New York football giants were taking on the Chicago Bears. Wasn't really a contest at any point. Uh, the Giants walked away with a 20-12 victory. Uh, and the, the Bears... The Bears' offense just cannot do anything. I, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a team offensively through the first four weeks just look so... Uh, I don't... Do you know, I can't even think of the word. Justin Fields, 11 of 22, 174 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, the, the best rusher was Khalil Herbert, 19 attempts for 77 yards. And they just did nothing. Uh, believe it or not, Daniel Jones, two rushing touchdowns in this game. And in fact, that was all the touchdowns in this game. All of the rest of the scoring was field goals. Two for Daniel Jones. Jake, will put it to you first. Did you did you watch this game? If you did, I, you know, I feel sorry for you. Um, what, what did you make of it? You say the Bears can't move the ball. The Giants went 9 for 16 passing with 71 yards. Their wide receivers accounted for three catches. I mean, this was a one-man team. Well, a one-man offensive team, anyway, with Saquon Barkey rushing 31 times for 146. He, he had two catches for 16. He took snaps out of the Wildcat because Daniel Jones went out injured. Then Tyrod Taylor came in and went out injured with a concussion. The Bears had six fumbles. I mean, they only lost three of them, but six fumbles. Um, I mean, it's a credit to the Giants' defense who had six sacks and six tackles for losses, but I I don't know how the Giants are 3-1. and one. We we often talk about oh, the Lions last year were one of the best three, you know, best three-win teams ever. The, the Giants are one of the worst three-win teams I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I, I'm really happy for Giants fans. You know, I've always had a soft spot for the Giants. I think oh, I am currently wearing a Giants t-shirt uh, from when I was away in London. I, they they suck though. I, I their defense is great, and Saquon Barkley is great. But how they are three and one? Like you can only play what's in front of you. But heaven help us if anyone thinks they are you know a good team. I mean, the Bears just suck even more. Yeah. So uh, to put this into perspective, just before I put it over to you, Dave, uh, the Giants have a better record than the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> now, if they played each other tomorrow, <laughs> I'm sorry. They could play each other a hundred times. 
There's no way the Giants have beaten the Ravens. Well, do you know why I say that? But I'll, I'll come back to that later on. This, this year, uh, you never know. This year, I'll, I'll come back to that later on, actually. Uh, with that, with that, we, I'll have a wee bonus random stat for you later on. Uh, Dave, what, what did you make of this game? Just, it was it was terrible. Um, I think um, the, the sort of positive you can take away it was a, if you're a fan of the run game, it was a fantastic game for the run game. Between the two of them, they racked up 411 rushing yards. That's quite that's impressive in itself. But um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a campaign very soon for Chad Powers to be back in at QB <laughs> with. Uh, <laughs> Eli Manning's uh, alter ego returning to behind the centre. Um, I don't know who who do the Giants get to replace. They've got two two quarterbacks out injured. They've got Saquon Barkley, who's just running everything at the moment for the Giants. For the Bears, it's just I don't know how, what what can we say? What are we supposed to say about this? I said the, the I'll give you one random stat about the Bears is that Tom Brady has had 23,996 career passing yards and 174 touchdowns while in his 40s alone. So that's 500 more yards and 20 more touchdowns than the Bears' all-time passing leader, Jay Cutler. So if Tom Brady started playing for the Bears in his 40s, he would still have he would still be the all-time leading passer for the Bears in team history. That's the, the, ba- sad. The, the Bears aren't allowed to have good quarterback play. It's what the, the Bears. It's just, I mean, they, they've expanded that to their entire offense at the moment. So they've just not allowed themselves to have a good offense anymore. But four field goals, they just can't get the job done. I, I mean, they can't even get anything done at the moment. Justin Fields, there's a lot of rumors about him right now um, that apparently he's going to be requesting a trade. I don't know if he'll be requested or there'll be a need for a request at this point. Um, Bears look like they're going to have a really high pick in the draft if not right up the top and yeah it's we, we said it pre-season it's going to be a dismal season for the bears and i think what we're seeing is pretty much proof of that they they did rush for it was 149 yards um but yeah i think from what i remember um darnell mooney made a couple great well the, the catches that he did make made one or two really good catches uh four receptions for 94 yards he was their only bright spot in the in the past game uh but yeah justin fields just can't get anything done and the bears just can't get anything done at all uh, they've got a positive kicker that's about all you can say about them <laughs> Oh my goodness. It is a poor show when that's all you've got to say. Uh, so moving on, gentlemen, we then come to Akershire Stadium. They did just get worse, these names. Akershire <laughs> Stadium in Pittsburgh, where the New York Jets were taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And wouldn't you know it, the New York Jets won 24-20. to They are now sitting at 2-2 two and two and the Steelers are 1-3. and three. And, well, uh, it's it's difficult to sort of quantify this Zach Wilson was fairly middle of the road in passing it was 18 of 36 he did have 252 yards one touchdown two picks then on the other side Mitch Trubisky was 7 of 13 for 84 yards and an interception before Kenny Pickett came on Uh, he went 10 of 13 for 120 yards sounds a lot better except when you hear that those three passes that I missed were all interceptions and so people, fans were yelling for Pickett. Pickett came in and threw three picks. Um, so I don't know what you want to make of that. Make of it what you will. Dave, we'll put it over to you. The New York Jets, two and two. Well, 
I, I, you, you gave me a bit of stick for the Jets last week um, for saying that the, you know they had a bright future and they were going to be uh, on I the did. up. Yes, yeah. I did. And uh, you know, I think what it took was Mitch being taken out of the game and Kenny Pickett to prove that he should just be a wildcat quarterback. That's it. That's all he should be doing because two rushing touchdowns, um, but three picks in, in his debut game. That that's uh, that's horrible, but you know the Jets. Uh, you've got the, maybe a slightly more experienced uh, Wilson coming back in. Um, he's uh, you know he's 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 okay. He's he did okay. He had obviously um, that those two picks as well. But at the same time, yeah, you know, he, he, they got the job done. Um, they were leading. I think it was 10 to nil uh, at one point in the second quarter. They had a fantastic fourth quarter, which cemented the win. But yeah, a worrying time for the Steelers. But I think the Jets, you know, they they've got a future. Uh, they didn't really get the running game off very well, and Najee Harris wasn't that much better. Eighteen carries for seventy four yards, while uh, Hall got seventeen for sixty six yards. But yeah. It's a, it's one of those games where you just think it's it's two sort of bottom bottom of the league teams that are going to scrap it out, and they did. But I think the Steelers really, I mean, what it's it's ask right now looking at Pickett and Mitch. Do you want punch in the left hand side of your face or right hand side of your face? It, it's just they're both not good at the moment, and Steelers are really struggling to replace Big Ben. I'll take a punch from Kenny Pickett. He's got small hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's very good at finding... Poor Kenny Pickett. Oh, my goodness. Uh, he, he's phenomenal at not letting the ball touch the, the ground. I mean, like you say, 10 or 13 and the other three with the interceptions is quite impressive. Now, Lamarcus Joyner had four passes defence, had two interceptions. You know, the Jets' defence and their secondary certainly seem to be stepping up. Um, like Dave kind of mentioned, the Steelers were 20 to 10 up halfway through the fourth. And and somehow the Jets make it to to two and two. Now Brees Hall, he went seventeen rushes for sixty six and the game winning touchdown with just sixteen seconds left, and it was a reviewed touchdown because he was stretching for every last inch. Um, but the positives for the Steelers are George Pickens is exactly what we thought he was in in preseason. He had six catches for one hundred and two yards. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, who worryingly has a knee issue and needs to be quote-unquote managed, but he's playing lights out, had his third interception, and he was very close to having his second pick six. Only my boy Talanoa Hufanga is rated better by PFF this season. We're then going to move on to our next uh, game, gentlemen, and we're going to be keeping it in the AFC North for at least part of this. It was the Atlanta Falcons heading to the Cleveland Browns, except it wasn't because I got that wrong. It was the Cleveland Browns heading to the Atlanta Falcons (laughs) at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm really doing well today, haven't I? Um, And the Atlanta Falcons came away with a 23-20 win. Both teams now sitting at 2-2. Young Ho Koo, he banged in three field goals in this game. Jacoby Brissett looked pretty good 21-35, 234 yards uh, no touchdowns, he did have one pick but you know, compared that to Marcus Mariota uh, 7 of 19 for 139 yards Mariota really doesn't look that great unfortunately um, but the Falcons came away with a win Jake, let's put it over to you first of all Falcons-Browns, what did you make of it? 
What I make is, is, is we should see Desmond Ritter sooner rather than later. At, at one point, the Falcons ran 14 plays in a row. That's how little they trusted Marcus Mariota. Mm. Imagine running the ball 14 plays in a row. By, by the, the, the sixth play, the defense must be just going, are they going to run the ball again? That, you know, do you start second-guessing yourself? I mean, 35 rushes, 202 yards, just phenomenal ground play, especially with Cordell Patterson going off injured and down to IR. Um, AJ Terrell, the, the quarterback for the Falcons, basically made Amari Cooper irrelevant. The Browns should have won this game. They left so many points on the field. They they failed an early fourth and goal. They had a first and goal and failed to score a touchdown. The Falcons definitely bent but didn't break, but the, the Browns kind of shot themselves in the foot multiple times here. It was mm-hmm. a game of momentum, really. It was 10 nothing to the Falcons. It was 13-10 to the Browns. Like I say, the Browns really should have won this game, but credit to the Falcons, they did whatever it took. And that did take, well, it, it took taking the ball out of Mariota's hands, basically. Uh, another one for the run game fans. Um, yeah, I, just to re-emphasize what Jake was saying there, Mariota looked terrible. It, it was hard. To, I, I watched uh, the kind of 40-minute highlights on Game Pass. It was painful at times. He just does not look competent at all does Mariota um yes a big call would be to put in Desmond Ritter I think it would be the right call at this stage they you know they did get the win but it was through the run game it, it was it was just needed and necessary Young Hoku was brilliant every time he kicked the ball it was successful uh he got two field goals in the fourth quarter as well to put the Falcons uh ahead by 23 points 20 with about two and a half minutes to go I've got written down um, but yeah, it was uh, just run, 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 and all four touchdowns in the game were all runs. So yeah, it it was uh, it was an interesting game. Just like Jake said, though, the Browns did shoot themselves in the foot. They got four hundred three yards uh, mm-hmm. on offense, and yeah, it was it was a game of penalties as well. The Browns with seven penalties to the Falcons one. So yeah, turnovers, penalties kind of shot my wee bit, but at the same time, Falcons scraping a win. Yes, indeed. Uh, we then move on to the next game, which is an NFC East matchup between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Commanders at AT&T Stadium. And uh, this was the Brett Maher show, or Mayer. I'm not sure how they're pronouncing it. Uh, the kicker for the Dallas Cowboys, just he he was everything. He just, just kept on kicking kicks. So yeah, he kicked, started with a 53-yard field goal in the first quarter. Then in the second, he had a 45-yard field goal. In the third, he had a 28-yard field goal. And in the fourth, he had a 29-yard field goal. The SSC Cowboys won this one 25-10. There was a couple of um, plays there. Michael Gallup uh, caught a nine-yard pass from Cooper Rush. C.D. Lamb also received a touchdown from Cooper Rush. And Carson Wentz did get him on the board with a 10-yard pass to Jahan Dotson. Uh, but looking at these games, the... Although there was a lot of of field goals in this game, it didn't really look like the commanders were actually in charge. And it's those penalties, 11 penalties for 136 yards. We see it all the time, guys. Turnovers and penalties is the ones that's going to cause it. Washington had two turnovers and Dallas had zero in this game. So Dave, we'll put it to you first. What did you make of this? I'll be honest wasn't the best game I've seen in a long time, but uh, I suppose entertaining enough if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Well, yeah, if you're a Cowboys fan, but you know, two, uh, for the Commanders, two interceptions. Uh, Carson Wentz got sacked twice. It was 
Yeah, like you said, the penalties was a standout stat from the entire game. I mean, he, he, Carson Wentz, 25-42 for 170. He did get that one touchdown, but two interceptions. I tell you what, the Cowboys kept scary Terry very quiet. Two receptions for 15. Um, you know, Dot, Dotson did play very well. He also got his touchdown. They, they rushed uh, quite well. Uh, did Washington, um, you know, Gibson 13 for 49, Williams 5 for 48, JD McKissick getting some uh, 8 for 40 as well, but they weren't able to get in the end zone uh, on the on the grounds. Um, Rush doing well for the Cowboys. Uh, Daku, I can't, I can't remember his name, it's that long ago. Um, he definitely shouldn't play against the Rams, but you know, it's it is what it is. Cooper, uh, Cooper Rush come in there, CD Lamb was brilliant, but. Yeah, big win for the Cowboys because they're now three and one. And considering what we thought was going to happen to their season, they were just going to completely capitulate. It doesn't look like it. No, not at all, Jake. Yeah, well, you you kind of point towards my main point in that Dallas and, and Cooper Rush himself were just more efficient and made less mistakes. Uh, Cooper Rush is the first Cowboy quarterback to start his Cowboys career four and zero. Michael Gallup returned and grabbed a touchdown, which was nice to see. Um, but the main thing I took away from this game is that Dan Quinn is a fantastic defensive coordinator. Maybe not head coach, um, but he's a great defensive coordinator. The Dallas defense have held all four opponents less than 19 points this year. And they are keeping this team in it whilst their franchise quarterback is on the bench. And I don't buy any sort of controversy when it comes to Dak being back. Cooper Rush is doing a great job. He's doing what he needs to do to keep the Cowboys season on track and, and fair play to him. So we then move on to the next one, and it's an AFC matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills at M&T Bank Stadium. And the Bills sneaked this one with a 23-20 victory. Tyler Bass hitting a 21-yard field goal as time expired uh, to win this one. The, the, the Ravens were up big in the first quarter, but the, the Bills clawed it back, shut out the Ravens in the second half. Jake, we'll put it to you first. What did you make of this one? Yeah, the Bills scored 17 unanswered. It's the, the largest Bills comeback in 11 years. Um, the Ravens at 20 apiece go for it on fourth down when you have Justin Tucker. Uh, and it just sends a really bad message to your defense. And um, it certainly sent a bad message to Marcus Peters and, and some of the others. And there was a a few heated words exchanged now. The Baltimore Ravens started off touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal in their first four drives. And then they finished the game, punt, 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 interception, interception. I mean, Oof. you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. It's just one team obviously ran out of gas and the other team has proven already this season they're resilient and they're going to be there right to, till the bitter end. But I'm not sure how much I agree with going for it on fourth down when you're tying a game. You know, if you're losing the game, maybe, but just take the points and and ask your defense to make a stop. Yes, they hadn't made a stop in a while. I understand that, but you've got Justin Tucker. It's an automatic, you know, an automatic three points. You know, you hope at worst you go to overtime. At best, you win the game. Either way, you ended up losing the game because of it. So it's uh, certainly been an interesting point of conversation, and I'm sure some of the film rooms and the, the behind the scenes stuff has been interesting this week in Baltimore. My favourite stat to take away from the Ravens is that this year they have only been behind for a total of 14 seconds. That was because the Dolphins scored with 14 seconds to go. That's the whole amount of time that they have been behind this year. 
So they just cannot close out the uh, the close games. That is a worrying thing for the Ravens. Uh, obviously, the two games that they did win uh, against the Jets, twenty four to nine, they beat them, and they beat the Patriots thirty seven twenty six. They had a bit of wriggle room. However, they lost by four points to the Dolphins. They lost by three points to the Bills. Both with basically the last play of the games. It, it's just it's disappointing. We were we were really looking forward to this game. It was going to be a great game. You know, um, Lamar Jackson up against Josh Allen. It's, I mean, th- the third and fourth quarter, second, the second half, just Lamar just c- couldn't really do much. And obviously the two picks as well. Um, yeah, it was just, a, it was one of these, it was one of these funny games. But at the same time, this is worrying for the Ravens. The Bills kick on like we expected them to. Maybe not quite in the fashion that they managed to, but the Ravens are underperforming I think already even though like Lamar said some great plays um but in these in the big games in the tight games they just haven't got across the line yeah it's it's been kind of weird um you talk about the you know expecting the game between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson Josh mm-hmm. Allen had a rating of 68.4 you know and Lamar Jackson's was 63 I mean that's in today's game pretty poor but but the, the way they lost to Miami and then the way they lost this game, you're thinking, are they being outcoached? Or is it just bad luck? Because what you were saying there, Jake, was about, you know, the, you know, not going for it. Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Not taking the points. Mm-hmm. Now, it's easy for all of us to sit here and go, you should have gone for it. Or you should have kicked the field goal. We, we know that I do that all the time. I, I tell coaches what they should do, obviously, because whatever they do that doesn't work, I tell them what they should have done that would have worked. But that's by the uh, by. Y- yours <laughs> can't coach, that's why. <laughs> wow, there we go. We'll discuss that later. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. Anyway, um, yeah, so the, the Baltimore Ravens are just a strange team. Lamar Jackson is an incredible, incredible player, incredible athlete. Just didn't seem to click. In this game against Buffalo, uh, I was very close a couple of times to some big plays, but it just didn't quite work out for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and there they are. The Bills are 3-1. and one, Ravens are 2-2. Two and two, And gentlemen, we're going to move on to our next game. And that is the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Philadelphia Eagles played at Lincoln Financial Field. And it was a lot closer than some people expected. Eagles won this one 29-21. The Eagles moved to 4-0 as the only team undefeated in the NFL. Uh, Dave will put it to you first. What did you make of this one? Um, It was a weird game for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he, didn't, he got obviously through for two touchdowns. He also had one pick, but 11-23 for 174 yards. Um, they, they didn't have that many plays, to be honest, compared to the Eagles. The Eagles... You know, the, the Eagles ended up running for about 50 times. So, uh, yeah, Eagles run game really getting it done. Jalen Hurts, 16 of 25 for 204 yards. He got no touchdowns, but he got one pick as well. He did rush in for one touchdown. Um, but, yeah, it, it was close. Um, I think the Jaguars can take a lot of positives away from it as well. But, um, yeah, offense, not that great for the Jags. Uh, 13 first downs compared to the Eagles, 25. Um, I mean, it was a game of sacks as well. The Eagles got to Trevor Lawrence four times, and there was four fumbles in the game as well. So, a game of turnovers as well. Um, yeah, time of possession. 
I mean, 20 minutes only for the Jags compared to uh, the Eagles getting 40. So before, you know, for for every drive as well, it, it's two thirds of it was going was going to the Eagles in the game, just uh, a third for the Jaguars. So, yeah, Eagles march on and I think they're going to take uh, the division quite comfortably. Not necessarily the conference, but uh, I think I think with the Jaguars, they've still got a lot of positives to take. They've just got to maybe. I think Trevor Lawrence has to sort of um, he has he has to perform more steadily and at a much higher level. I think you know some of the things he, he could have maybe thrown it a wee bit quicker, but I don't think his offensive line helped him every single time. So Eagles march on, Jaguars two and two, but Jaguars right in the fight for it. Yeah, well, Jaguars were first in rush defense before playing the Eagles. The Eagles then ran for two hundred and ten. I mean. Massive day for Miles Sanders, 27 rushes, 134 yards and two rush touchdowns. Um, Hassan Reddick, big pickup from the Panthers. He had two sacks, a tackle for loss and two fumbles recoveries. And I think Dave was far too nice to Trevor Lawrence. He did his mm-hmm. best Daniel Jones impression. All five turnovers were Trevor Lawrence. Four fumbles and a Bradbury interception. Keep hold of the damn ball. I mean, the Jaguars at one point, well, to start, were 14 and nothing up. I mean, it was looking like you know, we're going to have another miracle from the the Jaguars and they're going to continue to impress us, but they ultimately got outcoached and outplayed by the Eagles. Like I say, doubled the the time of possession, basically doubled the first downs, basically doubled the yards. I mean, there was, I think the scoreline in the end kind of flatters them and Trevor Lawrence needs to take responsibility for that, keep hold of the ball and, and this could have been a very interesting game. I think the Eagles rushed, they had more rushing plays uh, on offense than the Jaguars had plays on offense. So the you know the the Jags only had 46 total offensive plays, whereas the Eagles had 50 rushing. So I think the domination of the ball from the Eagles was what really sort of took the game by the scruff of the neck, and yeah, ultimately saw them across the line. Yeah, the the Eagles do look like a very well coached, well put together organization, and uh, Jalen Hurts is looking like the real deal. It really is. Uh, so we then move on to Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Tennessee Titans are in the Indianapolis Colts. And the Titans come away with a 24-17 victory in this one. Um, looking at some of the stats from the game itself, once again, it's the rush yards. It, it seems to be this season, the team that runs the ball just seems to win. <laughs> it's like... Uh, Tennessee, 28, uh, rushes 127 yards and a touchdown. Indianapolis, 23 attempts for 38 yards. That's not good. Jonathan Taylor no. himself, 20 rushes for 42. Uh, for someone of his calibre, that, that, that's pretty poor. Um, so, Dave, we'll, we'll put it to you first. Titans Colts. It didn't really look like much of a contest. The Titans were up early and never really looked like relinquishing it. No, they didn't. But um, I think what one of the downsides for the Colts as well is that uh, T- Taylor has been ruled out for the next week against the Broncos as well with injury. So not only could he not get into the game, he's not going to be in the next game. Um, to, you know, Dwight Kai's 42 yards is pretty poor uh, but Matt Ryan 27-37 for 356 yards two touchdowns and one pick um, they just couldn't get it done they just they just couldn't really complete it uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, on the other side 17-21 for 137 yards and two touchdowns so um, Derek Henry starting to look a lot 
like the Derrick Henry that we know. Uh, 22 carries for 114 yards and one touchdown. Um, yeah, the Colts should have done a lot better. They they didn't, and the Titans did what they do best, and just kind of, they I mean they were shut out in the second half. It was a very very poor second half. It was just just the one touchdown for the Colts in the second half in the third quarter. But um, they they, they all probably thought they had the job done by halftime. Matt Ryan tried his best, you know, picking out people left, right, and center. Um, but yeah, it was it was a poor second half anyway. Good high scoring in the first half, and then just kind of dwindled away for us and uh, neutrals. But um, yeah, Titans. Back up to two and two, Colts just falling short yet again. Yeah, Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard, uh, hot skates thin ice at the moment. The Colts have lost six of their last seven. Like you say, Jonathan Taylor out with a high ankle sprain. Now this is PTSD for me because that's what Michael Thomas had. Hopefully it's not severe and he's only missing a game or two, but high ankle sprains are, are nothing to play about with. So they should take their time with them, especially with this season kind of being a mess already. Now for the Titans... The average yard per play is alarming to me. Tannehill, 17 for 21, but only 137 yards. Thankfully, King Henry seemed to to return to form with 22 rushes for 114 and a touchdown. The uh, positive for the Titans I have is that all first four, uh, all four first drives, the Titans have scored. So when they get the ball early, they, they score, which is always positive. But the worrying thing is something that Dave touched on. I mean, first half, the Titans had 16 first downs. In the second half, they had three for a total of 28 net yards. Oof. And pretty much in all the Titans games, the second half has been a worry. They seem to just not work in the second half. I don't know I don't know what it is. It, it begs a, a lot of questions how you can be so efficient. Like I say, on the first drive, they, they always score. In the first half, they always seem to be doing well. In the second half, I don't know if it's complacency or or, or what it is, but they, it's been a bit of a worry. Obviously, winning... A divisional game, you don't tend to worry that much afterwards, but I, I would be worried for for the Titans, and I'd be very worried if I was Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard. So moving on, we then come to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, the Houston Texans at NRG Stadium. Uh, this one was basically over by halftime. Uh, Austin Eckler scored three touchdowns for the Chargers en route to a 34-24 victory over the Texans. Jake, we'll put it to you first. Um, what did you make of this one? Yeah, it was the, the Austin Eckler show. 13 for 60 and two touchdowns in the rushing game, and then six for 49 and a touchdown in the passing game. I mean, it was 27 to 7. At one point, they scored on five of their first six drives. I really liked um, head coach um, Brandon Stanley going for it fourth and one at their own 45 with five minutes left. They were winning by, by three. Um, you know, they could have just punted it and, and tried to protect that lead. They went for it, they got it. They saw out the game. The weirdest stat or, or weirdest kind of thing I've seen is that Damian Pierce was the only rusher for the Texans. No one else rushed the ball. Not even a scramble by the quarterback. There was there was one rusher. Um, he did a very good job. He went fourteen for one hundred and thirty-one and a touchdown. Had that huge seventy-five yard touchdown run. But I've never seen it where only one person runs the ball for a team. It. it I had to double check and refresh and make sure I wasn't wasn't seeing things. That's um, I <laughs> do you know what I didn't even notice that when I was looking through this. That's uh, that was a random stat, a bonus random stat for you, <laughs> Dave. What did you think of this? Yeah, well, they had Rex Burkhead in the game, but used him more as like a kind of third down uh, receiving back than anything else. You know, he was uh, previously at the, the Patriots for uh, a period of time, and 
he was a pretty solid power running back there, but didn't use him at all. Obviously, big bright spot was uh, Damian Pierce's big run, uh, you know, fantastic play. Davis Mills played okay. Um, yeah, he, he did have those two picks, but apart from those two kind of brain farts that he had, he had a pretty solid game. He was, you know, 26 to 35, 246 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously, the two picks as well. Brandon Cooks made one or two really good catches as well. Um, you know, he he's he's be, always been a solid player within the league, as Brandon Cooks. But um, yeah, the Chargers had this game sewn up at halftime, 27-7. The Texans just don't really have it in them to come back. I think they're trying to fight the Bears at the moment for the, the first pick in the draft. But um, yeah, they came back a bit in the in the second half, just far too little, too late. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it's just it's Austin Eckler. Two touchdowns, uh, one receiving as well, and Justin Herbert back to being very, very good. 27-39, 340 yards and two touchdowns. So, yeah, Chargers march on 2-2, uh, and two, Texans yet to win. Yeah, so uh, we're looking at next to Ford Field, where the Detroit Lions welcome the Seattle Seahawks. From a neutral perspective, this was a great game. Absolutely brilliant. Geno Smith is playing lights out. And I hate to say this, guys, but it's starting to look like Seattle won the Russell Wilson trade. (laughs) And I never thought I'd say that. And I can't believe I'm saying it. Geno Smith, 23 of 30, 320 yards, two touchdowns, a rating of 132.6. He also rushed seven times for 49 yards and a touchdown. And uh, the although you know in saying all that, this was a close one. Uh, although the Seahawks never trailed in this game, they won at forty-eight forty-five. There was a lot of scoring in this game. A really, really uh, entertaining game for a neutral. So, Dave, we'll put it to you first. What did you What did you make of this one? Where do you start with a game like this? Forty-eight forty-five. The final score. But yeah, Geno Smith, NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and rightfully so. He just he was looking like a prime Russell Wilson or even better at sometimes. Um even on the other side of the ball, Jared Goff, twenty-six or thirty-nine for three hundred and seventy-eight yards. His arm will be dead in the morning for Jet poor Jared Goff. Uh four touchdowns. He did get that one pick. But um yeah, I mean they they both had uh, decent rushing games as well on both sides. Uh, Rashad Penny, 17 carries for 151 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Will, obviously, Williams as well, 19 carries for 108 yards. I think they missed DeAndre Swift in there, um, maybe to buffer up that brilliant run game. Um, but yeah, TJ Hawkinson, fantastic at the tight end there for the Lions as well. Eight receptions for 179 yards and two touchdowns. But where was the defense on both sides? It was ridiculous. It, it just nothing could not the, the Lions could stop nothing of the Seahawks' uh, offense. I mean, the Seahawks scored t- fourteen points in the first quarter, ten in the second, fourteen again in the third, and then ten again in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, the Lions leave themselves just too much to do in the fourth quarter. They scored 20, 22 points in the fourth quarter and just couldn't get it done. It was just. It was a great game for the neutrals, and it was back and forth and back and forth, but Seahawks come out on top, and they're in a better seat. They're already 2-2, two two, which we did not think was going to happen, but the Lions, how they are 1-3, I do not know. <laughs> their their defense is just awful. At the you know, they, they've, they've got Okuda, who looks great. He, he does look a really great player, but 
the rest of the defense does not look great. Um, Aiden Hutchinson did pressure the quarterback, but wasn't able to sack uh, Gino at all. Yeah, the, the the tackles really played a great game for the Seahawks, both left and right tackles, two young uh, tackles there. So, yeah, big up the Seahawks, which I really hate saying. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Jake, just before I hand it over to you, pal, um, to should point out that uh, one Eugene Siddle Smith III, that's Gino's full name, by the way, um, has 77.3 percentage completion through the first four games of this season. It's the highest in NFL history. That's insane. Jake, what did you think of this one? Well, I was going to lead with that. So, <laughs> did I, did I steal your stuff? What a thief, what a thief. And, the, and, and then the, the other thing, I, the next thing I had was Dave's part in comments stole as well. I was going to mention the Seattle O-line. I mean, zero <laughs> sacks allowed and 235 yards rushing with two rookie tackles is incredibly impressive. Um, Rashad Penny, 17 rushes for 151 yards and two touchdowns. He had a big breakout game. And then the only other thing I had was about the Lions defense that we've kind of um, discussed. They couldn't buy a stop to put up 45 points and 520 yards and lose. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks drives went like this. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, end. There was no punts. There was no turnover. There was no turnover and downs. I mean, easiest job ever being a Seahawks punter that game. Um, he just got to to snap the ball or hold the ball for the snap, although they did miss a field goal, so maybe maybe you should focus on that. But yeah, that's... <laughs> it's I, like, I didn't wanna... you had one job! <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even have to kick the ball, all you had to do was hold it. But um, yeah, just the most Lions loss I've seen in a long time. They just continue to do great things and lose. Uh, and like I say, the defense really needs to step up and you can only be a lovable loser for so long. And, you know, we all love MCDC and, you know, all want the Lions to do well, especially with the young talent they've got. But you've got to, at some point, help yourself. You do. You do indeed. Um, I've, I'm not going to give any more bonus random stats then, just in case I steal them from you, Jake. So apologies. Uh, my random stat is, I could have blown my load on the random stat here, but I'm not. Go- I'm going to save it uh, <laughs> now that you two have, have ruined everything else I'm for me. sorry. I'm sorry. You're I, I welcome. Didn't mean, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> We're here to back you up. Oh, yeah. Wow. Good grief, Dave. I don't know what's going on here, man. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, we then move on to the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals at the Bank of America Stadium. And uh, this one, again, just... Although the Panthers took an early lead in this one uh, at halftime, they led 10-3, at no point did it look like they were going to win this game. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to say. But that offense, the Carolina offense, you have to think, just... it's It seems to be, as Christian McCaffrey goes, so does the Carolina offense. Even with Bacon Mayfield there who should be, who we all thought was going to be a big upgrade to the quarterback position. And God love you, Baker. It's not been the case this year. McCaffrey did not have a great game. Uh, eight attempts, 27 yards. Uh, he, he did um, catch nine passes for 81 and a touchdown, as is his uh, MO, really. Uh, but the, the the Cardinals, 26-16 winners. I kind of, I was going to talk about this game and then, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, I've, I've got nothing to say about this one. Carolina managed 40 rushing yards in the entire game. It was it was pretty pathetic, to be honest. So, Jake, we'll put it to you first. What do you think of this one? 
Yeah, this was an odd game, and I didn't have many positive things to to say. So I focused more on individuals. I mean, Brian Burns had a sack and three tackles for loss. Um, Baker Mayfield loves finding defensive linemen to 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 swat down his passes. It seems to happen an awful lot. Those eight passes defensed. Um, the Panthers are one and twenty six under Matt Rule when opponents score seventeen points, and they've lost twenty four in a row. Now, seventeen points is not a lot in the NFL. Most teams will score that each week. So. AKA the Panthers lose a lot under Matt Rule. Uh, the, the individuals I wanted to, to point out, I'll hopefully not butcher their names too much. Uh, the linebacker for the Cardinals, Dennis Gordek, uh, had five tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a pass defense, a QB hit, and an interception he returned for 24 yards. Not a bad day in the office for that fella. And then on the Panthers side, there was Frankie Louvre, had 11 tackles, six of them by himself, a tackle loss, a pass defense, an interception return for 33 yards and a touchdown. So there was some individual brilliance amongst the, the mediocre game, I would say. I mean, just since we're stealing each other's stats, you know, because I had uh, Frankie Louvu, everything about him. So thank, thanks, Jake, for that one. But uh, yeah, there we go. But yeah, just to emphasize, Baker does not look okay in, in Carolina. Not not a lot of people do. Chris, I think maybe it just show, goes to show how important Christian McCaffrey is to the entire organization. They couldn't get it done on the ground. You know, they they tried to they tried to throw it a lot more than rushing, and they just couldn't. They they couldn't get the success that they needed. Um, Kyler, twenty three of thirty two for two hundred seven yards. He didn't play terrible. He one pick, obviously that that pick went for uh, six. But at the same time, he was able to pick up a lot of. Uh, well, he was able to pick up a lot of his uh, receiving backs. Zach Ertz was six for forty-seven. Marquise Brown six for eighty-eight. Uh, he was slinging it about the field. The, the The main thing that I picked up on was just how poor both teams looked. Uh, the Panthers. It, it was Cardinals to win. Basically, the Panthers just. They, they didn't. They didn't look great, and they they look like another team fighting for that number one pick. And I'd be looking out in the draft for them trying to get one of the new young QBs coming in. So poor day for the Panthers, especially in the run game. Like Christian McCaffrey had to catch a few to get any yards at all. Moving on, we then come to the uh, Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas Raiders, Denver Broncos, and Dave. I called it. I said it was going to happen. <laughs> You said it indeed. last week. I'd said the Raiders look rubbish. The <laughs> Raiders look terrible. They look awful. They can't get anything going offensively. Defensively, they do nothing. Josh Jacobs doesn't look himself. And last week I said, but this is the Broncos they're playing, so this will be the week they get it together. And boy, was I right. I mean, my goodness, the... the the Las Vegas Raiders, against the number one rushing defense in the NFL through three weeks, went 38 attempts, 212 yards and two touchdowns. How, how did this happen? How did this happen? But never mind all that. Never mind all that. Melvin Gordon fumbled again, <laughs> as, as is his want to do, apparently. And it was uh, returned 68 yards by Amik Robertson for a touchdown. Um, the Broncos just oh, in the second half offensively were just dire, absolutely dire. They could get nothing going. There was one long play from from Wilson to uh, KJ Hamler, I believe it was, uh, and then Russell jumped in for a touchdown from about one or two yards out. That seemed to be it for the entire second half. The Broncos had twelve first downs in this game. 
12. The, the readers said 25. They, they've rushed 20 times at 85 yards. Now, unfortunately, you know, to just really heap it on to the Broncos here, just keep piling it on. Javante Williams uh, looks to be out for the season. I believe he has a torn, I'm going to get this wrong, um, ACL and a, another one. He's got another... ACL, wasn't it? It, it, it could have been, yeah, he's he's basically, he's done for the year. Um, there's no, absolutely zero chance of him coming back, even if, you know, by some miracle the Broncos made it to the playoffs. Um, it's just no chance of Javante Williams. A really heavy, heavy loss for the Broncos, that one. Um, Russell Wilson, when he was connecting with his receivers, looked pretty good. However, that didn't happen as often as you would like it to happen. And... It just, it you know, it was it was a hard game to watch from a Broncos fan point of view. This was really hard. There was one point where the Broncos scored a touchdown. They got three and out on the Raiders. I was like, right, here we go. Let's get it going. And it was an immediate three and out by the Broncos. And then the Raiders drove all the way down the field, and scored, and then it was an immediate three and out by the Broncos. And I'm just going, why? Why? I don't know where they got. The Broncos' average goal, average to go on third down, average, was 10.3 yards. And you're thinking, what? How? How how is it that you'd average third down to go is more than it was on first down? That just doesn't make any sense. And yet the Broncos do it. I'm, I'm honestly, unless there's a ma- massive, and I'm talking a gargantuan turnaround on the offensive side of the ball for the Broncos, which without Javante Williams, I'm going to be honest, doesn't look likely. Um, then I, I think I'm done with Nathaniel Hackett. I was done after week one. I was done after week two. I was done after week three. And, you know, week four, I was I'm done again. I, I, I don't know. It's it's hard. I find it really hard to watch this team. Um, and the Broncos are arguably that they're 2-2. Two and two. They could easily be 0-4 at this point. Easily. Alternatively, they could easily be 3-1. and one. It's, it's a really strange season for the Broncos. I'm not going to talk about it the entire time because I know you guys know I will. So uh, Dave will put it to you first. Um, did you watch any of this game? What did you make of it? I did watch some of it. Um, the 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 one thing that I really took from the game was that the Raiders were really good at running the ball, and the the, the Broncos just had no answer for it. Really, the, uh, like I said, Ross did look good when he could find his receivers, but you know, third, on third down, they were three of eleven in converting uh, or in third down efficiency. They just by the time. By the time third down came, they were either more than ten yards back, or and because because of the inability to run uh, completely, or Russell Wilson was pressured or sacked. Yeah, he got three. He was three sacked, sacked three times in the game. No picks, which is the only good thing. Melvin Gordon is not someone that you want to replace uh, Williams because he's just he's not showing anything like he should be doing. Uh, obviously, he did get the fumble. He only had three rushing attempts for eight yards. It just it it was pretty dire uh, from the Broncos' side of view. I mean, it could. I think the Raiders could have done a lot more. They they that like the gap kind of flattered the Broncos a little bit. Um, obviously, Adams nine receptions for one hundred and one yards got going quite well. 
uh, Card didn't throw for a touchdown or a pick, but he didn't really need to when Josh Jacobs ran in for two touchdowns. I'm trying to think what the... I'm trying to think of the positives that the Broncos can take from this. There aren't any. There's, there's no positive. There's, posi- there's oh, no, none. No, there, no. Is, there is. There is one. There is one. There is one positive that I saw in this game. Okay. And, and that is that uh, Devontae Adams, you're absolutely right. He had, uh, what What did you say it was? Nine for what? Nine for 101. Nine for 101. Um, when Sertan was matched up with him, especially early on in the game, uh, Sertan just looks... He, he honestly, it's it's the one bright spot. Pat Sertan already looks like an all-pro cornerback. He kept Devontae Adams very quiet through most of that game. He had a couple of catches later on, uh, including one which he was. It was actually double coverage. Sertan wasn't on him, um, and he he got a big gain in that one. Uh, but Pat Sertan looks fantastic. The the defensive uh, coordinator, whose name I'm going to butcher again. Edgiro Evero or <laughs> Edgiro Eviro. I can never remember which one it is. Um, he's doing well, but when you when your offense is constantly going three and out, constantly, it's really hard for you to keep drawing up defensive schemes because the Raiders, despite their record, and we all know this, are a good offensive team. They are good. And I, I said this last week, Dave, that 0-3... But they are much better than their record. They're not an 0-3 yeah. team. They just happen to have a record of 0-3. And they, they, they showed it in this game. I believe the Broncos um, have been looking to, to get some other running backs. So, uh, Jake, we're handing it over to you. Um, what did you make of this one? There was positive. So was Montreal Washington looking like the next dangerous re- returner for the Broncos. They love a, a returner. And then, yes, as you've uh, kind of alluded to there, they stole Latavius Murray off the Saints practice squad. He played this week for the Saints because of our injuries. We offered him a spot. Obviously, he'd be behind Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. He got an offer for the Broncos. It makes a lot more sense for him to go there. The Broncos had the luxury this game to kind of bench Melvin Gordon for his fourth fumble this season. Four uh, but with Williams going, <laughs> with Williams going down, obviously, they don't have that luxury. So they've brought in Latavius Murray, a very solid running back, hopefully help them out. As you mentioned, it was a very sorry second half by by the uh, the Broncos. Josh Jacobs absolutely carried the Raiders with his rushing 28 for 144 and two TDs. He caught five for 31. Uh, Max Crosby looked fantastic. Two sacks, four tackle for losses and two QB hits. Now, the Raiders only had two sacks going into this, so they've more than doubled their season's sack total thanks to the ineptitude of the Broncos in their offensive line. Um, both teams missed an extra point, which is concerning. And I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but the Raiders went for an onside kick early in the second quarter, and I can't for the life of me think why. It was <laughs> yes, I did. It was that. the most questionable thing I've seen. You know, before halftime or after halftime. You know, when you try to maximize, it was the most random time, which I suppose is supposed to catch the other team out, but uh, it didn't work, and you just look like absolute morons. So. Didn't love that decision. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're a Saints fan. Yes, we used it coming out of half and when we were losing in a Super Bowl. <laughs> we didn't use it in the start of the second quarter when we're winning just for the heck of it. It was, <laughs> it was stupid. Uh, you know, I'm all for using an onside kick when you need it, but what a waste of, you know, giving them a short field. I mean, the Broncos only got three from it because Nathaniel Hackett, but... I, I know, and this, this is the thing, it's so frustrating. 
When something finally goes your way, you're like, ah, oh, finally. Nathaniel Hackett will find a way to just <laughs> make up for Make it that. irrelevant. Yeah. But, uh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr has some wheels. He he rushed seven times for 40 yards. Yes. Uh, a, a key 20-yard rush just before halftime to put him in field goal range. And then there was another third and five where he rushed for the first shot. And, you know, it's not someone you think rushes often, but he used it when the, the team needed it the most. I was very impressed with it. Um, like I say, got them three points before half, converted a third down. You know, not someone you expect to run. Um, and that's why it works for him. You know, pocket opens up and he took what was given to him. So, well played to Derek Carr. So, next week, the Broncos play the Colts. We know Jonathan Taylor is out for the Colts. So, the Colts have Naeem Hines, and they also have Philip Lindsay. Now, <laughs> we keep coming back around to Philip Lindsay. Mm. And the reason for that is Melvin Gordon fumbled four times in four games. Four mm. times in four games he's fumbled the ball. And I said this before the season began. Melvin Gordon fumbles way too much. Every time he carries the ball, I'm like, oh my, just don't fumble, just don't fumble, just don't fumble. And then he gets hit in the backfield for one yard loss. I'm like, phew, at least he didn't fumble. You should not be thinking that about your running back. That should not be the first thing that pops into your head when you see him getting the ball is, don't fumble. And then we're looking for running back. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right, Jake. Uh, Latavius Murray, that, that's a good pickup for the Broncos. It's a really good pickup for the Broncos. He's a good player. He'll do well, I think. Um, but, you know, Philip Lindsay was sitting there, third in the depth Mr. chart in Indianapolis. They Mr. Reliable. Him. Mr. Reliable. Never fumbled. Yep. Never. Never fumbled in college. Never fumbled in the NFL. It's just, I just, I sit here and, and I, I watch this team. And I apologize, guys, if I'm going off again. But Nathaniel Hackett was, the, the entire point of signing Nathaniel Hackett to be your head coach. The, the entire point of it was to get this offense on track. That was it. When Vic Fangio was there, there was never a problem with the defense. Never. It was one of the best defenses in the league. One of the best in the league, despite the offense. This year, we get Nathaniel Hackett, offensive guru, Russell Wilson, future Hall of Famer. And do you know what? It's meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Because the Broncos have one of the best defences in the NFL, despite the offence. Nothing has changed. Nothing. And everyone was saying before the season, oh, the Broncos are just a, they're just a, a quarterback away. I've said it. I said it myself. I bought into it. The Broncos are just a quarterback away from being you're challenging for the playoffs and possibly even a Super Bowl because they had that much talent. I believed that. I didn't want Fangio to go, but he went. And then the Broncos bring in Nathaniel Hackett, young offensive mind, bring in future Hall of Famer Russell Wilson. Well, we're sorted. That's it. You know, just uh, just crown them right now. What was it Dennis Green said? Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. Absolutely, the Broncos are who we thought they were. I think we can all agree on that. They just, it's nothing, nothing has changed. It's so frustrating. And you get, you get, there's teams in the NFL, right? 
who are um, sort of historically not very good franchises, okay? Not taking shots at the Lions here. I'm just saying, as an example, the Detroit Lions, all right? That historically not a great franchise. They, they don't expect them to be in the playoffs or to do well, or you don't even have a winning season. There are, there are teams like that. The Broncos are not one of those teams, they shouldn't be. They're becoming one of those teams. They're becoming a team where other teams will look at that on the the schedule, upcoming schedule, and go, that's a win. Broncos, that's a win. That should never, ever, ever happen to a franchise like the Denver Broncos. And it's happening. It's it's awful. And I'm sorry, guys. I've spoken for way too long about the Denver Broncos again. Wow, I think, do you know what they need to do? They need to win a game, just convincingly win it, and uh, that way I won't be going on for hours about it. So, right, gentlemen, let's move on to the next one. Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers and the New England Patriots. Now, the New England Patriots had a bit of a a change-up at the quarterback position here. One Bailey Zapp. Or is it Zappa? Was it Zapp? I think it's Zappa. Zappa. Bailey Zappa. Yeah. Yeah. He came in. He started to look like Drew Bledsoe back there. 10 of 15, 99 yards, a touchdown. Unfortunately, was sacked three times. Um, and the Green Bay Packers won this one 27-24. Uh, but Bailey Zapp coming in there looked pretty, pretty good, if you ask me. Um, so, Jake, let's put it on to you first. What did you make of this one? Yeah, the, the Packers merely survive. Um, that, that was it. You can't say they won the game. They just survived the Patriots and their third-string quarterback. Um, the Patriots ran the ball, and they did not give up. Um, this came close to, to almost the ultimate Belichick game. If they'd won that, you would have just looked at it and gone, only Belichick could win against you know a juggernaut who, no matter what they do in the offseason, always seem to win 13 games in the, the regular season. And they, they nearly let one slip here now. There was 68 combined rushes in this game. Um, but the only play that really stuck out to me that much uh, was Jack Jones in his 40-yard pick six. And I think the Packers will just be relieved on their way over to London that they got the win. And that's all that really matters in the end. But a bit of a scary one for them. I misplaced my overtime game for for this for last <laughs> week with the... Uh... Packers getting it done in overtime, but yeah, the 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 real positive for the Patriots is is Bailey at back at uh, QB came in for um, Brian Hoyer who had gone down injured. Now before the game, there was rumours that Robert Kraft had asked for Hoyer not to start because he didn't believe he was good enough. So when he went down injured, and then you know the third string comes in and plays pretty well, then. There might be a few rumblings uh, in the back room there at the Patriots, but yeah, just to emphasize what Jake said, the Packers survived barely, uh, and they they should have they should have won it. They were really they they were really competent on uh, on the run game. Uh, Aaron Jones getting 110 yards from 16 carries. Uh, AJ Dillon 17 from for 73 yards. Um, Apart from that, Alan Lazard was targeted by Aaron Rodgers for 116 yards, which was pretty good, but that's pretty much all that Rodgers was able to do. Two touchdowns, he did get, obviously, the one pick. Um, yeah, the Patriots, just they, they're not... They, they tried to run the ball a lot. Um, I think they had a, a total 33 rush, rushing attempts, uh, something about 160 yards. But 
I think the Pats are really they they also since uh, TB12 left, I think they've been a bit kind of not great, uh, and they're, they're kind of struggling at the at quarterback right now, obviously with the injuries and the injury situation. But they are trying out some quarterbacks this week, um, so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, Packers heading to London. They're three and one. They're probably lucky to be three and one. Patriots one and three, and pretty much just well, they are now. They're rounding up their their own division now with the Jets doing a, a bit better. The Bills high flying, the Dolphins high flying, so the Patriots rock bottom. So, question: Maybe one of you gentlemen can answer this for me. I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> If Robert Kraft doesn't think Brian Hoyer is good enough to play, why is he on the team? Belichick. I, I get think maybe. That. I mean, yeah, I th- I would I would go as far to say that because he knows the scheme, he knows the plays. Belichick has some faith in him to execute that. Do but you have Do you have any faith in Brian Hoyer? I, I barely know who Brian Hoyer is. I'll be completely honest. I know Jake, he's a he's a backup to the Patriots, but that's it. Jake, do you have any faith in Brian Hoyer? No, but you don't really expect your backup quarterback to, you know, you don't. Most teams, you know, d- just, you know, just, well, except for a few of them, most teams probably don't know their backup quarterback. I mean, Cooper Rush is, is showing you that it's, it's worthwhile having a decent one, but. Yeah. Whether you think Brian Hoy is good enough or not, I mean, that's kind of irrelevant when you've got Matt Jones and your, your franchise quarterback. I mean, you've got Brian Hoy probably paying on peanuts. That's the, the Patriot way, is uh, everybody joins for. A gym membership and maybe, you know, free parking. <laughs> uh, do you know what? There you are. I think Jake just answered my question, Dave. Yeah. Jake okay, answered I'll the question. Well done. I, yeah. knew, I knew one of you guys would have the correct answer to that. So uh, let's move on, gentlemen. And we come to, speaking of TB12, we come to the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Raymond James Stadium. Score was 41-31 to the Chiefs. And this score really flattered the Buccaneers. Chiefs absolutely looked in charge of this one. And what can you say about Patrick Mahomes? The man is just incredible. In the second quarter of this game, Patrick Mahomes threw a two-yard pass to Clyde Edwards-Alea. Now, you look at the stat sheet, and it's, you know... Clyde Edwards Alaire, two yard pass and Patrick Mahomes. That's it. That's all you see. If you haven't seen the highlight of this touchdown, go go onto YouTube now and watch it. This two yard play is one of the most honestly, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen any player do in the history of the NFL. And I've been watching this game for a long time. And I've watched an awful lot of games, and I've watched a lot, awful lot of incredible plays, um, and sometimes the best plays take place in the most confined quarters. This was one of them, and I, I've run out of superlatives for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but the, yeah, Chiefs won this one, forty-one thirty-one, um, and they, they never looked like they, they weren't in control of this, even when the score was quite close. Um, you look at the yards, you know. I, perfect example um it was 27 first downs each uh, as far as passing goes the uh, buccaneers had 300 uh, beg your pardon, 373 to 228 for kansas city but uh, that that rushing attack did it again tampa bay six rushes 
three yards in this game. Kind of tells you everything you need to know. Dave, it's all yours. Leonard Fournette, the main ru- the main running back for the Bucks, three carries for minus three yards. They just did not want to run against the Chiefs. They six rushes completely, whereas Brady threw fifty two times. That's ridiculous. I, you you can't you can't expect to take it to the Chiefs without any play action, uh, without you know at least pounding the ball a little bit down the field. But they just didn't do it. Brady was competent enough um you know he had a few kind of missed throws he was 39 52 385 three touchdowns in fairness to him uh two to evans and Fournette did we played a bit more receiving back role seven receptions for 57 yards and a touchdown but they just did not want to run the ball they refused to run the ball basically and they paid the price for it but like you said about patrick mahomes so the the thing i would say about that that play that you're talking about to edwards alaire Twinkle toes because what if the foot the footwork if you haven't seen it is just magnificent because he just he knows exactly where the line is where the line of scrimmage is and that it's only two yards so he runs right up to the edge of it makes sure where he is and just the the most perfect little dink over to Edwards Alaire it was brilliant if you haven't seen it I, yeah um, I'm not even sure how he threw that ball it was more like a like a shot putt just a yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it was so it, it bizarre. Was, it was like it was like a toddler trying to throw a basketball and it just doing it so perfectly. But it was just it just goes to show how amazing Patrick Mahomes is, and he's you know he's a first ballot Hall of Famer in the future, a hundred percent. But just on on the rest of the game though, Travis Kelsey nine receptions for ninety two yards. He came out that game flying. He he was just uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I might have had a little bet on Travis Kelsey getting a touchdown uh, in the first half. I think was it two plays in the the kickoff was fumbled if I remember rightly, and then on the was it the second play Kelsey went then uh, got his first touchdown. So thank you very much, Travis Kelsey, for that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, the Chiefs fantastic rushing as well because they they, they managed to pick up 189 total rushing yards. Um, Pacheco, their number two uh, running back, uh, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, looked very, very good behind Edwards Alaire and Edwards Alaire 19 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown, a rushing touchdown as well. So, yeah, the Chiefs really looked the real deal. And like you said, the scoreline really flattered the Bucks. I think they they were basically just clinging on to the Chiefs, you know, just to remain only two scores behind. But yeah, the Chiefs really look like the main challengers to the Bills in the AFC. They do indeed, and Jake, just before I put it over to you, we've seen the Chiefs in four games now, and two of these games, they've looked virtually unstoppable up to the point where they just stopped trying, and teams are able to score some points to them. Um, and then we've seen other games where they've really seemed to struggle. What did you think of this game, Jake, and which Chiefs are the real Chiefs? Well, I don't really have anything left, because everything that I've got written down, which is like, a good like two paragraphs you guys have uh, have, have said, so you've not, not left me an awful lot. No, <laughs> Sorry, okay, right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna have you from now on, Jake, just for the rest of the show. No, that's fine. But like I say, I don't have too much. Time. It was seventy two points for Sunday night football, which after last week was much needed. Um, and the Chiefs somewhat avenged the Super Bowl loss against the Bucks at Raymond James Stadium, so that probably felt somewhat nice for them. Although not the same result, really, is it? Um, like I said. Chiefs were always in control, starting from that opening kick, um, which was fumbled. The Chiefs had 17 more minutes um, time of possession, like I say, despite having the exact same first downs and 
pretty much identical um, yards. That just shows the Chiefs were on the ball. And I did note that rookie Isaiah Pacheco is fantastic, looked phenomenal rushing and returning kicks. So they have another weapon in Kansas City. Which is the last thing they need. Uh, yeah, so we do again come to the final game, and it was the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams at Levi's Stadium. Uh, the 49ers came away with a very convincing 24-9 victory in this one. Jake, we're going to put it to you first, pal. Get out your notes. Tell us all you want about this game before we hand it over to Dave, because we really don't want to do that. I don't. I don't want to read all his notes. It's going to be, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> yeah, go for it, Jake. Well, my aforementioned boy Talanoa Hufanga with a, a fifty-two yard pick six was fantastic. To see, I mean, the Forty Nine ers defense from top to bottom: seven sacks, nine tackles for loss, five passes defensed, eleven QB hits, a pick six, and two fumble recoveries. I mean, it was a defensive masterclass. The Rams on the other side: zero sack, a very shaky O line, and they can't run the ball which is worrying i mean week one we were all making jokes you know alan Robson and cam Akers, fantasy owners are in the mud uh, they still are they, alan Robson cannot seem to get any connection or chemistry with matthew stafford and cam Akers seemingly is a non-factor i mean stafford threw the ball 48 times 19 to cup 14 to higby i mean that leaves very little for anyone else uh, it's certainly kind of focusing on the, on the two targets um, Debo for the 49ers, 6 for 115, an amazing 57 yard um, catch and run for a touchdown. It was just, it, it makes no sense if you look at the stats of this. The Rams had nearly 10 minutes more time of possession. They had eight more first downs. Yeah, they had 70 less yards, and, and turnovers really killed them this game. I mean, they lost a sack, seven to, you know, seven to nothing. And uh, to really rub salt in the wound before I, I hand it over to Dave. I, I would mention Nick Bosa, but I'd rather mention Sam, Samson Ebukam, a former Ram with two uh, sacks and a tackle for loss. So that's that must be nice for him um, playing against his old team and and letting them know what they're missing. And as if the the Rams, uh, well, the 49ers D line needed any more help. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> Nick. I, I do you know what I forgot to mention Nick Bosa last week for the Broncos 49ers game um, with that the, one of the most blatant tripping of a player that I've seen in <laughs> years where he literally just kicked Russell Wilson in the legs and then the refs picked up the flag and said there was no flag for tripping. Well, I don't know what you have to do. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just, do you know what? I'm, I just put that in there because I felt I had to. Uh, Dave, your Rams, 49ers, talk to us. It was billed at, from the Rams' point of view as being you know, a big game behind enemy lines, but during that game, we were more like prisoners of war. It was just, it was horrific to watch, and as soon as the first quarter was over, I I knew what what was going to happen. It was going to be horrific. The, our offensive line is just like bits of cardboard at the moment. We just cannot we cannot protect Stafford. We cannot get the run game going whatsoever. Cam Akers was it, he's not looking great. It it carries for thirteen yards, and it was it was a brutal thirteen yards as well. Just could not get anything going. Um, I'm trying to think of any positives. Cup was, you know, you got another hundred hundred yard game. In the end, it meant very little. It it was just a brutal, brutal out outplayed game completely. Um, positives? No, I don't think there is any. I, I it just it was really really bad. The seven sacks was just it was painful to watch because 
I was watching it. I'm just thinking he's he's going down and he's gone down, or or don't go down again and he's gone down again. It was just painful to watch the the our offense our, our offensive line our offensive line. Uh, we we picked up another in- injury with uh, our centre going down Shelton. Uh, he tried to play on, but ended up getting hurt again. So he's going to be out for a while. Um, it's we're, we're we're struggling badly with that offensive line, um, and just the the main line I want to put for that game. I hate Debo Samuel. I <laughs> I hate him so much. He is just too good. The actually, you know what? I'll tell. You, there was one positive from the game. I put a ten pound on Bobby Wagner having eight sack tackles or more. So that is the only thing that I got from that. I got a nice twenty five pound from that. That was it. That's the only good thing I got before crying myself to sleep at night. So thank you for the Rams for making me stay up till four a.m. just to witness brutality of the highest order. Not only could we not get in the end zone, we got three field goals and then we got a complete shutout in the fourth quarter. Poor Rams. We need some help on the offensive line badly, and we need the other guys on our defensive line to step up because Aaron Donald was getting triple teamed so much, not even double coverage, but triple coverage in uh, on that offensive line, and they were getting it done. Not one of the other guys were doing much, so a really bad day for LA in that game. Jake, I'm did, did Bobby Wag- I was going to say, did Bobby Wagner's tackle on the streak count towards the the count? That was I mean, some that- tackle. Look. Well, I, I thought it was a gender reveal when I was watching it. And I thought, you know, screw your gender reveal. Take that, right? That That's that's the kind of thing. That I, I, that's that's the only time I actually was able to get pumped in that game was when I saw Bobby Wagner take out that person. That, I'll say person just to be kind. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a gender reveal. It was a, a stupid time for a gender reveal. And just as well, you got taken out. But, um, yeah, I was a little bit bitter during that game, so I wasn't up for any kind of happy family times when the Rams were just getting torn to pieces. I was... Uh, uh, Jake, I'm starting to worry about Dave. So, He'll <laughs> <laughs> be all right. Dave so? Samuel, I'd be think... worried about. Oh, well, Dave Samuel's a weapon. So, um, he's going to hit, hit, hit that one in front of those hands of it. <laughs> <laughs> also, Dave, stop betting. Right, it's not good. For uh, yeah, bet, betting's not. Well, it was the profitable fu- uh, there, but the that's not the point. Stops, stop. Remember, it, that's what they yeah, say. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, even though I was crying, I was crying through profit, so it's fine. <laughs> Goodness. So that wraps up our week four recap, gentlemen. Uh, now we're just going to take a very, very short break, and then we're going to be doing our week five preview and, of course, random stats. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the WinFL Show. I'm Ian McKinnon here with Jake uh, McGee and Dave Somerville. We're going to do our Week 5 preview and we start with the Thursday night game, the Indianapolis Colts at the Denver Broncos. And I've got I've got the Colts winning this, guys, 24-23. Uh, well, I've got along, thinking along the same lines, actually. I do have the Colts winning, but I've got 17-16, to 16, so just a point difference as well. I've still got some weird faith uh, in the Broncos. That'll be 26 to 21 to the Broncos. Here we go. Uh, we then come to the Sunday games and we start with the New York Giants at the Green Bay Packers. I don't believe the Giants' record. I think they're going to get absolutely shown up in this game uh, at Lambeau Field. And I've got the Packers taking this on 30 to 13. Again, thing along the same lines, but I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. I think it's going to be 37 points to 20 to the Packers. I've got the Giants scoring 13, but I've got the Packers only scoring 24. But yeah, I think the Packers win. 
We then have the Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers bounce back in this one. I think it'll still be a quite a close game, though. I've got them winning 24-21. Oh, I've got 24 points to 20 for the Bucs, so we're thinking oh. along the same lines. I think the Bucs are, uh, the, the are going to keep out the, the Falcons, really, and Falcons are going to have to rely on young Hoku to try to get something from the game. I've got the Bucks winning 21-16. to 16. I do think it'll be closer than most people think. We then come to the Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. I've got the Vikings winning this one. Uh, I've got a low-scoring affair. I've got 16-7 to the Vikings. Ooh, I've got 27 points to 12 for the Vikings. I just don't believe in Justin Fields at all. I'm pretty spot on with that. I'm 28-10 to 10 to the Vikings. It was pretty close. Uh, we then come the Detroit Lions at the New England Patriots. Um, I've got the Lions winning this one. I've got them fi- finally getting getting another win here, uh, and I've got them taking this one 27-26. I also have the Lions taking this one, but I think it's going to be 31 points to 30 for the Lions. Mm-hmm. I've got the Lions scoring 31 points. I just have the Patriots only getting 14. <laughs> There we go. Uh, hang on, was that a clean? Is that a clean sweep for the Lions? Wow! Did, did we, we believe? Wow! So the there we go. Gonna, they're going to be one and four next week. Then <laughs> we then have the Houston Texans at uh, at the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I've got the Jaguars winning this one by twenty four to seventeen. I also have the Jaguars having twenty four, but I've got the Texans scoring nine. I've got the Texans scoring seventeen, but the, te- the Jaguars scoring twenty seven. We then come to the Miami Dolphins at the New York Jets. And do you know what? I'm taking the Jets. I've got the Jets winning this one, 27-24. Well, it would maybe a surprise. I also have the Jets. You do not. That, you I don't. I 28-27. I, I think he's making this up, Jake. Do you know that? No 20, look, I said last week I have faith in the Jets. And now with Tua down and uh, Teddy B coming in, I've got faith in the Jets. And I've got faith in Teddy B. I also have the Dolphins scoring 24, but I have the Jets scoring 6. So. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's more like a cheek. There no. we go. So I thought I was going like way out on a limb there with the no. Jets, uh, but no, apparently not. So we then have the Tennessee Titans at the Washington Commanders. I've got the Titans winning this one comfortably. I've got 24 10. I've, I, I have the Titans win, but I think it's going to be a lot closer. I've got 24 points to 20. Hmm. I've got it 31 to 30, but I do think the Titans edge it. Oh, 31 30. Wow, there we go. We then got the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. Sorry, Steelers fans, I cannot see this going your way at all. I've actually got the Bills cruising this one 41 17. I've got 30 points to 16 for the Bills. I think it's just going to be too much for the new QB1 for the Steelers, Kenny Pickett, to come in, and I think he's going to get a brutal showing from the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it's the, the uh, Steelers are doing them no favours by putting them in here. The, the Steelers are getting 14 points. They're going to need more. They, the Bills win 36-10-9. We then come to the Los Angeles Chargers at the Cleveland Browns. They've got the Chargers taking this one in a fairly low-scoring affair. I've got 19-17. I've actually got the Browns taking this. I think uh, the Chargers are going to come up against a, a Browns team that will just run the ball at them. So I've got the, ga- the game going 27-24 to the Browns. You might have heard my chuckle there. I have the Chargers winning 19 to 17. Oh, you do not. Do you <laughs> yeah, actually? I do. <laughs> yeah, that's why I chuckled. I was like, no way. <laughs> we then come to the Seattle Seahawks at the New Orleans Saints. Um, 
Do you know what, Jake? I say the Saints get it together, and I've got them winning this one, 17-16. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint because I think the Seahawks are going to just slightly edge it again. I've got it 24-21 to the Seahawks. The Seahawks are somehow getting five and a half points. I would take that all day. I have the Saints winning just out of sheer loyalty, but I've got us winning 13-12 to in a classic. <laughs> classic. <laughs> we then move into the evening games. We've got the San Francisco 49ers at the Carolina Panthers. And I, I just I can't see any way the Panthers win this one at all. I've got the 49ers winning it 23 to 10. I have very similar score I've got 27 to 10 for the horrible 49ers. I've got 27 to 17, so not far off. There we go. We then come to the Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Rams. Dave, I think you should be okay in this one. I've got the Rams winning this one by 27 to 24. It's more a loyalty that I've got the Rams winning this as well, but I think it's actually going to be quite a high-scoring game, so I've got 31-28. Yeah, the Cowboys are getting four and a half points, which I think is... Very interesting. I've got the, the Rams winning 24 to 21. So I think the Rams will win, but the Cowboys cover. Um, we then come to the Eagles at the Cardinals. I've got the Cardinals winning this one. And I've got the Cardinals winning this one by 31 points to 28. Well, I've got the Eagles winning this, but I have them as 31 points to 28. Oh. So <laughs> this is so, but. I I, th- I think uh, they're going to be able to stop Kyler just enough. So um, yeah, Eagles thirty-one twenty-eight. Well, you're a traitor, Dave. Again, uh, I'm a huge <laughs> believer in the Eagles, but Neil um, also picked this as our upset of the week. So mm-hmm. I have rided with my captain. Um, I've picked the Cardinals to win thirty-one to thirty. No, depends. Depends how you see it. Go down with the ship. Well, you know, it could, could oh, be that. Right, right or die with my captain. Absolutely. Uh, we then come to the Sunday night game: Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens. I see the Ravens finally managed to hang on to one of these. Uh, I think it's going to be another high-scoring game, and I've got the Ravens taking this one 35-34. Well, I've got it going to overtime, oh, so it's going to be a 31-31 with Justin Tucker to kick a 55-yard field goal. Well, I've got an AFC North classic, the Baltimore Ravens winning 9-6. to six. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, we come to the Monday night game, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Kansas City Chiefs. Believe it or not, I've got this one going into overtime, um, and I think the Chiefs will come out on top of the 27-24 victory after overtime. Well, I've got it as 38-21 to the Chiefs. I just think the Chiefs at home are just going to be far too strong for the Raiders. And it's a hit or miss Raiders, so the Chiefs to take it. Well, unlike my Sunday night football low score, I've got this one 35-34 to to the Chiefs. There we go. That is our rapid-fire week five print. Predictions. Well, gentlemen, it's plenty to look forward to in uh, coming week. Um, unfortunately, I say the Broncos are playing tomorrow night or tonight, if you're listening, tomorrow. Well, it would be, wouldn't it? That's a ridiculous thing to say. It's like the Sunday games are tonight, if you're listening on Sunday. So anyway, uh, yeah, so we've got plenty to look forward to. But of course, we do have time for one final segment. And it is, of course, Random Stats. So who would like to kick off with Random Stats this week? You know what, I haven't gone first for a while. Go for it, So, shall I go for it? Okay, so my stat is more a a fact than a stat, but it is a fascinating little story and fact that I've got. So, my stat and my fact is around the theme of what players do after the NFL. So, uh, I did speak about one player that had gone into the FBI, 
uh, before, but what I want to talk is about players that have made it big financially. So my man, he was in the NFL for 11 seasons, uh, and he is Roger Staubach. He was a Dallas Cowboys quarterback in the 70s. So he, uh, he was originally drafted in the 1964 draft. However, he did not play until 1969. So he is, his last name is Staubach, not Jordan, uh, any relation to Jordan Love. Uh, so, yeah, he didn't play for the first four years because he was in the Navy. So he was still, he was, you know, hardworking in the military, but he ended up coming back and playing for the Cowboys in 1969. So just a few uh, stats about him. He reached four Super Bowls with the Cowboys in the 70s, also picking up uh, MVP in the 1971 Super Bowl against Miami, uh, which they won 24 points to three. Um, he did beat the Denver Broncos in 1977. Sorry, Neosa, for that one. Um, but he also lost twice in 1975 and 78 to the Steelers uh, by one score in each game. But uh, yeah, the fascinating fact I have about Roger Staubach is, believe it or not, he is the player of all retired players that is the highest grossing outside of the NFL. So as, as of last year, it is believed that his uh, worth, his net worth, is around $600 million. Now, obviously, back in the 70s, players were not well-paid at all. You're, you're not going to get half a billion dollar um, players around that time. But um, what Roger Staubach did, while he was at Dallas Cowboys, he founded a company, a real estate company. And what they did then was they just built up their portfolio. They learned and learned and built up portfolio before he then sold it for $613 million. Now, this is what we, we touched on the theme about uh, what happens after the NFL, but it was more surrounding injuries. But Roger Staubach, was, he carried on his education and he made a massive portfolio in that time. So just uh, one, one fun fact about him as well. He is the source of the name of the Hail Mary Pass. So in 1975, it was in a playoff game against the Minnesota Vikings. In the final play of the game, he threw a 50-yard touchdown reception to Drew Pearson. Now, it, it, the, the reason that it was called the Hail Mary Pass is when he was questioned after, he said he said a prayer and said his Hail Mary and just launched the ball. Now, that was, that, that, that's what basically what we now know as just launching the ball down the field, a Hail Mary pass. But Roger Staubach, he, he has some amazing stats as well. Um, he's uh, been league MVP, uh, multiple Pro Bowls. He actually has 22,700 career passing yards. That doesn't necessarily seem a lot compared to the players nowadays, um, but he, he did have 153 touchdown passes as well. Um, at, the, at one point, he was actually the highest completion percentage uh, in the era. Um, and, you know, obviously he's got his four Super Bowls as well. So, um, uh, sorry, he attended four Super Bowls. He lost two of them to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he also beats the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl six, And in Super Bowl twelve. he beat the Denver Broncos. Well, you keep so saying I think, that. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> this is a football life. The, I know this what's is, going on here. I had to sit through the absolute onslaught of the Rams like five minutes ago. Don't you worry about that. I've got to get this out. So, uh, But also, just one thing as well, that he also did jointly own a NASCAR team with Troy Aikman 
which they raced in the 2006 season as another venture outside of the NFL. But I think it's just to emphasize how important is your health and your well-being outside of the NFL or after the NFL is. And Roger Staubach really did take, take it by the scruff of the neck and do amazing things. So the net worth, $600 million, sold his company for 613 and he's got additional. He's, he's basically uh, put $100 million aside into a trust fund and he's continued to get payments because he learned during the season. When he, when, during the 70s, he was still learning, he was still investing with his money. So, big shout out to Roger Staubach. But at the same time, players need to do the same to look after their financial well-being and also their health. That's quite the start there, Dave. Yeah. Quite the biography. <laughs> a biography, yeah. But it's, he's, he's the, of all retired players, he has got the highest net worth post-NFL. Who knew? Good for him. Good for him, indeed, yes. Uh, right, um, my start is considerably shorter than that. Um, but it does concern another quarterback. And it's actually, uh, we were, we mentioned the Bears before and how I'd said that they don't, you know, they don't deserve good quarterback play. It's basically against the law for Bears quarterbacks to be any good. However, there is a notable exception to that rule. Now, statistically, it's not going to look that way. So when I, when I start uh, listing some of the stats, you're going to be like, what? That doesn't sound particularly good. Um, but bear with me on this one. So we're going to be talking about one Jim McMahon, okay? Now, Jim McMahon, in his career, okay, um, had a record of 67 and 30. Pretty good. Um, he threw for 18,148 yards, 100 touchdowns, 90 interceptions. So nothing that jumps off the board at you there. But there is something within McMahon's career that is very, very interesting. Now, everyone remembers the 1985 46 defense Bears, Buddy Ryan, Mike Ditka. Everyone remembers that. Often cited as one of the best, if not the best, defenses of all time. The thing is, when Jim McMahon wasn't playing for that team, they didn't win. In fact... When Jim McMahon was not in the lineup from 1984 to 1987, the Bears didn't win. Jim McMahon won 25 consecutive starts, including the postseason, as the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He was injured a couple of times, missing games through injury. But from the 1984 season through to the 1987 season, Jim McMahon did not lose a single game. 25 consecutive starts. Now, you could argue it's just because, you know, all he did, because everyone says Jim McMahon, all he did was hand off to Walter Payton and had the defense. Well, if that's the case, how come <laughs> when they had Steve Fuller and Doug Flutie in the team, they never won any games? It's just utterly, utterly bizarre. And when I saw this stat, I was thinking, that really doesn't make any sense. But it's absolutely true. From 1984 to 1987, Jim McMahon won 25 consecutive starts, including the playoff games. And that is my random stat. Great stat. Much better than mine. <laughs> it's a, no, just shorter. It's shorter. Shorter and sweeter. Jake, oh, what my, do you got for my, us? My, mine is nice and short. Uh, the last team to finish a season ranked first in scoring offense and last in scoring defense was the 2000 LA Rams. 
The Detroit Lions are currently first in scoring offense and 32nd in scoring defense, so they are on pace to do it. Um, the little bonus part was 29 teams have averaged 35 or more points first four games of the seasons. The record for these teams, so 29 teams, is 109, <laughs> is 109 to 7. <laughs> the, the Lions have three of those seven losses. <laughs> it's always the same. So it's always the Lions. It's always, the, it's it's, always bad news. And we, we mentioned this the other week, didn't we? Like, there's, always, there's always one team that yep. you're like, well, ever since records began, teams that have done this are 500 and 0. Except for this one team here. It's always, it always seems to be the Lions. Always seems to, apologies always to any seems Lions. To be the Lions. It does. Big shout out, you McPhail. Yes. Well, hey, sh- number one scoring offense. So, you know, Jared Goff for MVP. Can't be bad. Good Lord. That can't be bad at all. <laughs> what a bombshell to end on. <laughs> hey, imagine if that happened. That would be class, wouldn't it? Would it? Yeah, that, that <laughs> would be absolutely amazing. Oh, that's just, he, he, even now he's coming back to haunt me. I, I think we all know it's not going to happen. That, that's yeah. why I said it would, when I said it would be amazing, I didn't mean like, oh, that would be nice. I mean, that would actually be utterly amazing. Now, something we should point out here is that, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. Um, we, We've mentioned our fantasy football uh, league that we have here. And uh, what we do is, uh, it's slightly different in that we we make the, the managers only select players from the teams that they support. Okay? So um, the, the Lions have been the number one scoring team this year. So you would think that um, Mr. Ewan McPhail would be top in our, our fantasy, wouldn't you guys? You'd exp- well, no, he didn't set his lineup for, for yeah. three weeks, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> what happened was, he didn't set his lineup for the first four weeks. Right? Sorry, the first three weeks. I beg your pardon. For the first three weeks, he actually forgot to set his lineup and didn't score any points. In the first three weeks, when the Lions were scoring more points than anybody else in the entire league, uh, he finally did it last week and they banged out 134 points in week four. Nearly half. Nearly half of what my Saints have over four. But I'm three and one, technically. Yeah, well... My, my record looks in, great, in, but... In the, uh, in the points games... Points four. Points four. We were doing it by purely by points four, not games. In the game, so uh, I'm just going to go through here. So, um, Jake, yeah, I mean, technically you're three and one, you've, but you've scored 289.72 points. I haven't, okay. Well, Please, okay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Saints have... Um, my own Denver Broncos um, with 321.4 and you uh, scored 321 <laughs> points what's that? not you not, not the Denver Broncos you that yeah actually I'm, I'm going to say I've scored that um, and uh, Dave your, your, your Rams are sitting with 358 358 points uh, currently with a record of 2 and 2 it's so bizarre because the the, the team uh, gentleman who has the uh, Las Vegas Raiders has scored 377 points. He's got a 4-0 record in the league. He's well, they paid the Lions and the Bears when they had no matchup. <laughs> oh, yes, that's the other thing. So there, there is someone who's got, got the Bears. Uh, yeah, Callum. Mr. Callum Blaine, who is our man in Vegas, uh, for those of you who don't know. Um, he still hasn't set his team. And what I, I actually messaged him and said, 
Why haven't you said all the players are there? They're all on the bench. Your entire team is on the bench. And he said, oh, yeah, I had trouble logging in and I forgot. <laughs> so he's, he still hasn't set it. So he's got zero points and he's 0-4, as, as you would imagine, zero points. So yes, gentlemen, that uh, brings us to the end of this week's show. Is there anything uh, you've got to add before we before we sign off? No, just looking forward to the Rams not completely annihilating themselves. No, I, I'm very much... I won't be watching Thursday Night Football because I'm sick of watching the Broncos and I'll, I'll, I'll try and force <laughs> myself to watch the Saints, I suppose. I, I I will watch Thursday night football. I just won't watch it on Thursday night. I will I will I will leave that until the Friday uh, when I get a chance to watch that. I'm I'm also sick of watching the Broncos. It's just painful. Um maybe I'll become a Jaguars fan. I think I might oh. do that. Ooh. No, you hated yourself, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jaguars rule. Jaguars rule! Uh, so yeah, um, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but so we do have I say Thursday night game. We've got the Broncos, and then uh, in a couple of weeks, guys, George's not far away. A couple of weeks, I'll be heading down to London myself um, to to um, um, Wembley Stadium to see the Broncos. That should be fun. See what see what happens. Well, I'm saying that should be fun. The game won't be fun. That'll be rubbish. But the experience will be fun. Yeah. Look, just take a, a Jaguar shirt underneath so that if they win, you've already said here that you're going to be a Jaguars fan, so you can just play it off That's that you are actually true. down supporting the Jaguars. That's very, very true. If anyone else is going to be down at the uh, the Wembley game on uh, October 30th, I believe it is, um, you know, hit us up on Twitter at the WinFL Show. You can find myself, Jake, and Dave on Twitter as well. We really appreciate everyone listening and it's just been great. So we're looking forward to week five, guys. I'm going to sign off. Jake, thank you very much. Thank you as always. And Dave, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's go Rams. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's edition of the WinFL Show. <laughs>